0: So, we're in a series entitled So, an inquiry into Christian beliefs. We've discussed why are we here, what is wrong with the world, why did Jesus have to die, what did Jesus' death mean, what does it mean to be saved, what happens when we die, a conversation around hell. And today we're going to be talking about what happens when you die, a conversation around heaven. Now, just because I think it's going to be fun, what do you guys think if we were to play a little family feud? Survey says, the Bible says this, <clears throat> you go straight to heaven, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Is this what the Bible says fundamentally about what heaven is? Answer? Yeah. Eh, no. Uh, what else? St. Peter and his trusty clipboard <coughs> are going to be there for you to greet you. Yes? yes? yes. Sorry, strike two, Kwame, strike two. for <clears throat> you. It's going to be a little bit more difficult. We will live in heaven forever, and ever, and ever. (laughs) True? Eh? No, that's actually not in there. If you can believe it, that's actually not in there. As you can imagine, along with any particular concepts or ideas about Christianity, heaven, hell, sin, there are these popular conceptions that we had. It is going to take a class to try to figure out where did these conceptions and these ideas roll into our current thinking. But what we're going to attempt to do is try to peel the way through all of that and try to get to what really fundamentally is the biblical narrative around this idea of heaven. Some of you might know this song. Yeah? Okay, some of you are excited, yeah. For those of you who, who grew up being a Christian in the 90s, This is a band called Audio Adrenaline. Audio Adrenaline was huge, they played at all the conferences. I don't know if you can hear the lyrics. They start off by basically declaring their complete ignorance about who you are. So that's the beginning of the song. Let me share with you, I don't know anything. I don't know you, I don't know where you go, I don't know worry about this. Uh, And they declare that all of that fundamentally isn't important. I don't know that. Don't you love the pixelated video that I found? I couldn't believe this. I don't don't know about that. I don't know about this. It's just constant ignorance is the first portion of the song. But then here's the chorus. Two. Yeah, some of you are taken way back to the 90s, right? Good times back then, right? It's a big, big house. Lots and lots of room. (laughs) <laughs> singing right along with it. Mmm. Like, yeah. Now, fundamentally, I don't think I have a big problem with that song. I mean, I grew up under it, and I thought, oh, this is ultimately what heaven's going to be like. Big house, lots of food. Uh, I was a healthy teenage boy doing karate and soccer at the time table with food. Yeah, I, I can totally do that. And where you can play football, big yard, and all these images. The idea that there are some metaphors, some pictures and images that we take uh, ultimately as our way of understanding what heaven is going to be like when we get there. Not necessarily a bad thing. The Bible actually uses a lot of metaphors, a lot of images and a lot of pictures. Things like clouds, gates, cities, trees, rivers. These are not necessarily bad things. But the problem comes in when the metaphors become literal truths. And then a secondary problem comes in when the images and the metaphors that we use and that we read about, that we carry around with us, are filtered through the way we want to see things rather than the way the original authors of the Bible intended them. Here are some ways that we have developed a framework for looking at all of these texts in the Bible to indicate a certain way of understanding these concepts. The first is dualism. There is an idea that there is a here and there is a there. And that ultimately what we've done in our minds regarding heaven and earth, heaven and hell, is we've split all of that apart. And we've declared that earth is here, heaven is there, hell is somewhere down there. Underneath my feet. Now, it's fascinating because, you know, now according to modern cosmology, if I point up, I'm actually not pointing up, I'm pointing out, right? For those of you, okay, never mind. Dualism is the idea that you take something that is supposed to be one and the same and you split them into two and then you prioritize one or the other. Have you ever heard of the idea that you have a soul? Yes. Mm -hmm. This is one other way in which we have created dualistic world. I have a body, this flesh and blood and bones, and then I also have a soul that is a part of me. I'm sorry to <laughs> pull the rug out from under you. The Hebrew Scriptures actually don't declare that you have a separate thing called a soul. Um, Tim Mackey, a wonderful Bible teacher, says this. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Your entire life, that is what the word soul in Hebrew actually means. So, dualism, split. So, whenever you think of heaven, what we have to really dig through is getting out of our minds this thing that we have separated somehow heaven and earth. And the heavens up there and earth is down here. Second thing, escapism. This was really big in the 80s and the 90s, which is why I have this picture. Do you see? I mean, some of you might be wondering, what the heck is that picture all about? Well, that picture is a representation of one Christian idea, which is that if there is a there and there is a here and there is good and here is bad, When the end of the world comes, I got to get out of here and get up to there. And of course, you know, I'm taking a look at the world now and our cosmology and seeing all these people just scatter from the earth, you know, kind of like those Google pixels of every time there's a search, something like that. So escapism is another filter by which we use to understand heaven and earth. There, there, here, here. I want to get out of here and get up to there. And then the third thing that frames our reference for these is egoism. When I get there, there will be a lot of me that is there. When I get there, I'm going to get to play football. When I get there, I'm going to get to have a lot of food. When I get there, I'm going to have a big yard. When I get there, this is what I'm going to have. There is this article recently in the Washington Post that Danielle uh, referenced for me called Judgment Days. Um, It's a Discussion about Christian evangelicalism, faith uh, within the context of our current socio political context. Now, without getting into all of that, there are some nuggets in there that seem to exemplify this very concept that's very alive and well. When talking about heaven, some of the people that were being interviewed said, it's going to be suitable to each person. So, whatever makes me happy, I like birds. So, outside my window, there will be birds. So according to this person's idea of what heaven is, there's going to be birds there. Why? And here's the key thing, because I like birds. And so heaven is somehow, in many ways, simply an extension of my hopes, wants, dreams, and desires. But like in uber fashion, like, I really like birds here, but heaven, they're going to be amazing birds. There's another quote. I think it'll be beautiful. I love plants, and I think it'll be like walking in a beautiful garden. Well, again, Wonderful imagery and pictures. But notice the egoism. Notice how this is what I like. And you project that onto what it is ultimately going to be. Have you ever been out at night and looked at the stars? That's the floor of heaven. And heaven is going to be so much more beautiful than the floor. There's a little bit of an idea of dualism there. This is wonderful and great. But if you look up there, that's just a glimpse of what it's really ultimately going to be like. So the dualism is that this earth is... Not that wonderful, but up there, when we get to heaven, that, oh, more beautiful than the floor. And then perhaps my favorite quote from this article I'm going to be in my kitchen. I think it's going to be beautiful to see all the appliances. <laughs> like, Whirlpool is going to be in heaven, and, you know, uh, Hire is going to be in that, all, all these appliances. Dishwashers are going to be in heaven, apparently. Now, it's very easy to point to some of these things and say, well, some of that perhaps is a little bit ridiculous. But the reality is, most, I would say most of us, grew up, understood, most popularly continually tell the story of a definition or an understanding of heaven that is dualistic. It's up there. We're down here. Escapist, I can't wait to get out of here. And ego-driven, egoist. That when I get there, oh, I'm going to have everything that I've always wanted, everything I've always ever dreamed about, everything I've always ever hoped for. And what I would like to suggest to you is that if we don't interrogate that posture, seriously interrogate it. And really take it to task and ask the question, is this really the movement of Jesus? Is this really what he was attempting to communicate? And is this really the biblical narrative that we have all inherited If we don't do that, we will continue to perpetuate an idea of heaven and hell that is made in our image. And the biblical narrative is that God has created us in his image, and we are supposed to reflect his image, and we are supposed to reflect his likeness, and we are supposed to be the representatives of who God is here on earth. We're not supposed to make God or heaven or even hell in our image. That's the flip. And here's the problem that I see with most of our understandings of hell. The things that are missing, and our wonderful teachers, our co-teachers at Spark have really helped open my eyes to this. When you frame the definitions of these ideas, so limited, so narrow, you miss out huge pieces of the puzzle. What, what in any of those definitions of heaven? Is there shalom, peace, wholeness, reconciliation, the world put back to right, all of the, justice, uh, all of the injustice in the world? put back together? What of all the broken relationships and the broken intimacy put back together? The shalom, the peace, the wholeness. What about our relationship with the earth and our relationship with one another and the animals? All of that put back together. Where is that in all of those definitions of heaven? Where is God even in the picture? Sometimes when you hear people talk about heaven, it's almost as if God isn't there. But the appliances will be there. But God isn't even in the picture. He's somehow in the backdrop. or. Where, where's God in that picture? That God's rule and reign. And, and not just God in the, in the abstract sense of a deity, but the covenantal, personal, I carried you through the desert God. Where is that God in that idea of heaven? And then lastly, I, I was reminded of this by one of Omer's talks a while ago. Where's the resurrection in that picture? Where is the idea that the the most grounding Belief, the most grounding event in our faith, is not an escapism somewhere else, but that this Jesus that we followed rose back to life right here in this world and to declare that something was being transformed right here and right now. Where are those images and pictures? These are the questions that we ask if you go to Spark. (laughs) So welcome. And what I'd like to do is go back to the very beginning. Where is this idea of heaven? Where did it come from? And how does that definition of heaven pull through the string, the narrative and idea, all the way through the rest of our story and narrative? And if we can get at this, oh, I think this will transform the way we think about our faith, and we think about our identity, and we think about and behave ultimately in this world. As I mentioned at the very beginning, what you believe matters. What you believe seriously matters. So, where is the first word? Uh, where is the first occurrence of the word heaven? It's in Genesis. Everything goes back to Genesis 1, in my opinion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a couple ways of thinking about this. Most people usually think about this phrase in dualistic fashion. Recognize. It's very possible to read that phrase to think about heavens and earth. And that's understandable because the ancient world had a cosmology. They had a way of seeing the world. This is an ancient map of um, the world by Babylonian priests. And they also had this map where they had this flat earth, and there was an underworld, and there was these mountains that extended out from all that. And this is very much in line with a Hebrew understanding of the world, of cosmology, that there was an up there, and God is up there. There's this firmament in the skies, and then down below is Sheol. This is the underworld, the grave. And and we today, scientifically, would say that this is false, quote-unquote, But what you have to understand is this is how they understood the world. This is how they framed and made sense of their identity in the world. And so when we think of heaven and earth, it is very reasonable to think about two different places, up there and down here. In fact, the word for heaven in the Hebrew may actually literally mean the waters that are there. You would say waters in Hebrew, mine. And in Hebrew, for heavens, you say shah Maim. The shah is like there. So the waters that are there. And, of course, that's where the rain and the floods come down. So this is a very reasonable way to think about it. However, there's actually a different way to think about it, which is not dualistic. That also is very much in line with the way the ancient Hebrews thought. And this is not that they are two separate realms, but actually that they are two descriptions of one specific place. They are two ways of talking about a kind of reality that we all experience together. In other words, you could read this phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, by saying, in the beginning, God created this place where this idea of a perfect, glorious world with this physical tangible place are actually one and the same. And that's what it was in the beginning. It was heaven and earth together. And even though we think about two different places, that's not what God was doing in the beginning. What God was doing in the beginning, it was was creating something that was heavens and earth as one and the same place. And that's what it was in the beginning. And you want to talk about what it's like to have light and darkness and day, and night, and fish, and animals, and human beings, and sea bearing plants, and this beautiful creation, and a rest day, a Sabbath day. Do you want to know what it's like? It's like heaven. When you experience those things out of Genesis, everything in order, dysfunction moved to function and purpose, chaos moving to order. When you see that happen, that's like heaven. Like when your business is working and it's so smooth, that's like heaven. When your relationships are all in line and there's not just consent, but there's mutuality, like you are seeing things in the same direction, that's like heaven. There are moments in life when everything just works together the way it was designed to be, and that was heaven. But we also recognize that there's this other reality too. In that, heaven and earth sometimes aren't the same place. And it is because we sometimes experience shame and guilt and injustice, slavery, abuse, anger, broken intimacy and in relationships, hatred, embezzlement. We, I mean, just go down. The, because we experience those things, we come to the conclusion, heaven's not here. Clearly it's not here. So it's got to be somewhere else. That which God intended to be one and the same got separated out. And if this is what earth is like, of course I'm going to want to go there. So this is one way. This is an additional way of thinking about this entire thing called heaven. And when you move the story forward, With this tension and this grappling and this wrestling with, I know it's supposed to be like this, but it's not like this. You start to see the biblical writers, especially through the time of Jesus and Jesus himself, start to use phraseology and teachings and ideas and concepts that say, ah, there is a way, there is a possibility, there is a moment when you conform your life to the life of Jesus, to the life that God intended, And the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God here on earth can actually take place. And that which we are hoping will ultimately come to fruition at some particular point in the future can actually be made true right here, right now. So they would use phrases like the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And one of the most popular phrases is the world that is coming. That which is ultimately at some particular future point is going to be the perfect Way in which life is supposed to be, we don't have to wait for it. It's actually coming towards us and it's coming quickly. And it all is dependent upon how do we act, how do we live, how do we behave. Listen to a couple of teachings from Jesus. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. You'd make this investment here. You're going to reap those benefits here as well as that world that is coming. It's in both places. Matthew 6, one of the first phrases of this idea of the kingdom. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, if you pursue this, if you pursue God's rule and reign, and you pursue God's rule and reign and righteousness right here, all of this all this beauty of what is supposed to be the intimacy between you and God can be happened can happen right here and right now and then one of the most beautiful pictures Matthew 10 as you go he's telling to his disciples proclaim the good news here's the good news the kingdom of heaven the rule and reign of God which is to exemplify the right way in which life is supposed to be lived has come near not after you die, it's come here now. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. In other words, his commission to his disciples was not just to go and perform these miracles and signs, but as you go and you perform these miracles and signs, what are you doing? You are bringing the very essence of what heaven is supposed to be to the present time, present age, right here and now. And what's so beautiful about Matthew 13 and all the parables that he tells there is he's constantly reaching for pictures and images and metaphors to help you understand this is what heaven is supposed to be like. And he tells the story of a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. He tells the story of a store owner that goes out and brings out old things and new. He tells all these beautiful parables and stories because he's grasping at images and pictures to help you realize this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. When somebody is lost, and they are found. And it wasn't them who did it. It was the father who brought them back, welcomed, ran, embraced his son, doesn't give a rip about how much money he spent, doesn't give a rip about how many pigs he fed, doesn't give a rip about any of that stuff, and just embraces, my son is home. That's what heaven is like. When God's rule and reign happens here on earth, that's what happens. Lost sheep, Leaves the 99, goes and finds. I want to make sure everybody is back together, reconciled fully back into the family. This is what heaven is like. And the reason why it's called the kingdom is because in this day, in this age of Jesus' teachings, it is when God rules and when he reigns. You do not have to wait until you die to experience the glory of whatever heaven is supposed to be at that particular time at the end of the age. The teachings of Jesus are constantly pushing us forward, imploring us, begging us almost, to recognize that heaven is not something you wait for. Heaven is something you invoke. Heaven is something you work for. Heaven is something that you can actually accomplish right here, right now, in this very place, by allowing the king of the universe to rule and to reign, just like he did in Genesis. So this is a little bit of a dilemma. Uh, Pastor Kevin, I don't know if you answered the question. So what does happen when we die? I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that this particular image, by the way, if you search icon, heaven, stuff like this, you get images like this. I was intrigued by one particular element in this, in this particular depiction. There's an escalator that's going up. There's kind of this glorious motion thing at the top. There's clouds. We're getting out of this particular place. And what I was most intrigued about was that arrow, the direction. As I read the scriptures, as I understand the teachings of Jesus, as I look forward to figuring out what does the way of Jesus have to do with the hell that is currently here on earth, if we make Jesus king, if we allow God to rule, if we follow through with his commands, that arrow actually turns the other way around. The whole point is that we're not trying to wait to get up there. The whole point is that there is actually trying to get here. And if you read the end of the story, this is my encouragement to all of you at Sequoia this morning, if you read the end of the story, don't just stop. Read the full thing. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. What does that sound like to you? Genesis. The very language of creation, chaos into meaning and order, dysfunction into purpose, that very language that was there in Genesis, that beautiful image and picture, the spirit over the surface of the waters, all of that transformed into this beautiful creation in the Garden of Eden was destroyed And now we experience this separation of heaven and earth. Revelation ends with, I have a vision. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That doesn't make any sense unless you understand the full narrative of Genesis. That which was supposed to be together, separated, broken, we're trying to redeem it, but all of that is ultimately gone away, and now there's a new heaven and a new earth. And I love this phrase, and the sea was no more. It's an image and a picture of ultimate chaos. Remember, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The end of the story that we're ultimately looking forward to is that that which was ultimately separated is coming together once again. And our story and our narrative of Revelation is imploring us that if that is the case, If that is true, then that's the vision that we are ultimately working for. That is ultimately the thing that encapsulates what in the world are we doing here with all of these hells around us. We live and we work and we breathe to try to bring more and more of whatever that heaven is right here, right down on earth. So that heaven and earth can ultimately become one. There's this beautiful song by Gunger. many... Dave's not here, but this has got to bounce too. So, I I like this particular song. And this is the entire lyric of the song. Sum up the entire sermon. I have no idea what you've been told. But heaven's coming down to this world. I don't know what you've been told. Listen, pearly gates, St. Peter, clipboard, checking in, clouds, God on a throne, appliances. Appliances. I don't know what you've been told. We have all these images and these conceptions of what it's going to be. But there's this idea that it's separate from this world. It's the idea that we have to get there and leave here. And that it's all going to be about me. But ultimately, this message, this biblical story, is all about how whatever that is, it's coming here. And whenever you get to experience the full intimacy with God, connection and relationship with one another, a full reconciled, bonding with the earth and all of creation, and that you work to serve it and protect it, and you work for love and justice and mercy, you are bringing heaven here. So I don't know what you've been told. Heaven's coming down here. And guess what? You get to bring it. So in answer to this particular question, I actually thought the question wasn't so great. What happens when we die? if you will permit me a little bit of an awkward phrasing, what heavens before we die? That's ultimately, in my mind, the question. What heavens do you get to experience, do you get to work for, do you get to bring to reality before you die? And the world that is to come, as Jesus teaches, will be a continuation of that work, will be a continuation of the heaven that you have invoked in this particular world. So, my friends, all of these things, when you serve, when you offer grace, when you give compassion, when you work for justice in this world, when you center your life around love, when you center your life around the belief that new life can come up out of the dead, when you take the hard steps towards reconciling with somebody that you have a broken relationship with, when you see refugees, people in abused situations, get pulled out of those situations, find new life, new purpose, new hope. When you do that, when we participate in that kind of an agenda, when you exemplify these kinds of values and follow Jesus in this particular way, well, heaven and earth get to be as one once again. God, thank you so much for your teaching and for your word, and I know that there are plenty of questions that may arise, and there's lots of evidence around us that we point to that indicates that you are not present. But I also know that you are working in brilliant, amazing, powerful ways through my brothers and sisters here, through followers of you throughout the world to bring more and more of that heaven here on earth, to exemplify the fullness of what it means to be in full (laughs) intimacy with you, to be in full relationship with one another and to care deeply for this world that you've entrusted to our care. So implore us once again, challenge us once again to bring that heaven, to have that heaven realized right here on earth. And as we just prayed, may your kingdom come And your will be done on earth, right here, right now, as it is in heaven. And I pray this in your name. And everybody who agreed with this said, amen.